Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Maybe Next Year, the undefeated preseason podcast. My name is Frank. I'm Scott. I'm Paul. Um, we have promised to go very quickly through this game, Bills-Vikings. Um, they improved to 4-0 for the first time in franchise history, and I will tell you both, um, I got a little excited because I was cleaning my basement, and I tuned in at like 23-6 to 6 or whatever it was when they were down a handful of scores, and... I found myself listening to the end of the game while I was cleaning, and I was kind of, I got a little juiced. It was exciting. So, you know, uh, everything in its right place, but that's pretty much it, because as Paul rightly pointed out in our text chain, uh, everybody of consequence in this game is no longer <laughs> on the um, on the team. So I will allow both of you, if you wish, to briefly offer your kudos uh, to the team before we move on to the roster. Uh, briefly, Paul. Yep, Briefly. The uh, good to see Tyree Jackson have one last moment of glory in Buffalo. Good to see Marcus Murphy go out on a high note with a big return. And uh, nice to see that Ray Ray McLeod did enough to earn a 53-man roster spot for the Carolina Panthers. So congratulations. And I didn't watch the game. I watched the highlights. So that is the entirety of my impressions. There you go. I did not watch the game or the highlights. Kudos to the Bills. Yay. And, and everyone who used to be on them. I had come home from the Wiggles concert, so I felt like my evening was better spent, to be honest. But I was happy to catch the end of the game, too. Um, okay, the roster moves. Uh, you've mentioned a couple people already. Ray Ray McLeod did not make the wide receiver cut. Uh, Marcus Murphy also gone. Um, gosh, I feel like there's somebody I'm forgetting. Um, hmm. Hmm. Stephen Hauschka, nope. Stephen Stephen Hauschka got a two-year extension after missing a handful. I mean, of Christian Wade got cut. Yeah, and that was a little sad. Yeah. Spot. So there's that. He's a running back. Right, and yeah. they do have a big happy photo of him on Twitter with his English parents, a little mini video signing his practice squad contract, and he's got he's got guaranteed income for the next four months. You know, his spot on the practice squad is just doesn't cost the bills anything, but his salary. So yeah, good for him. Hopefully he learns the game and we see him next year and we're having the same debates. Guaranteed income that, you know, largely is what the three of us make combined in a year. So <laughs> <laughs> um, that's okay. not a bad four yeah. months work. Yeah. Um, no, uh, LaShawn McCoy, uh, of course, was going to definitely be the back and was the feature back and was definitely on this team right up until he wasn't. Um, now that's the same of everybody on the, on the roster, but uh, the bills had wondered, everybody had wondered what the bills were going to do with LaShawn McCoy. He gets released. Um, I'm sure that they were open to trading him. My guess is his contract demanded a lot and people were like, well, we'll let the bills, we'll make the bill. They, everybody called the bills bluff, so to speak. Um, and he, he gets released immediately, immediately picked up by the Chiefs, uh, where he'll be with Andy Reid and a host of better talent, um, which honestly might be a good fit for him as a guy who can do a limited role around a lot of much more talented people. Perhaps he'll be in a better place to showcase the the things that he can do. Um, thoughts on on McCoy's career, on cutting him, releasing him. Um, let's start with Scott. Usually we start with Paul, um, but Scott, give us your thoughts yeah. on John McCoy. Yeah, this, this is, I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot of layers to this. I kind of am, I am intrigued by the devil's advocate case of not releasing him. Okay. Uh, of keeping him on the team. I think my first reaction when it happened was, yeah, let's, 
you know, whatever. He didn't look that great last last year. He looked okay in the preseason, but every every mile he gets is a little bit closer to the end of his game. And it was it's not like we were getting a lot out of him last year anyway. Um, Singletary had obviously looked fine. Gore had looked fine. That's that's all pretty. The the salary was high. You know, those are all fairly good reasons to cut. I'm intrigued if anyone thinks there is a case to keep him on the team. I guess the theory is the theory would be like, is LaShawn McCoy, given that we the salary wasn't really an issue. Like we had the cap room this year and next year, regardless to a certain extent due to yeah. some short work by, by Bean. Um, but if the cap's not a, really an issue, then really at that point, you're just talking about who's going to help you win this year. And is it really more likely that, you know, Connor McDermott is going to win you a game than LaShawn McCoy. Hmm. And I think that's when the case starts to break down a little bit. I, I get that there's more layers to this than that, but I'd be interested if, if, if I'm crazy, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying I totally agree with that analysis, but I'm also saying, I'm also not saying that I don't. Okay. That's not um, really an answer. Yeah, yeah Paul, I, I, go for it. Yeah, I was gonna say it's my my counter to Scott would be on that. Kin would McCoy be able to adjust to that role though and do so in a professional fashion? We we should remember he was uh he was benched for the beginning of a game last year against the Patriots for being late for the the team boss, which is not what you expect out of a team captain. He's you know, he's very outspoken in the huddle, very much a, a, a leader. And when you take a guy like that and say, hey, we're demoting you to fourth string back behind three guys we feel we would rather have in the game than you, you know, is it I don't think he was ever considered a toxic player by any stretch. No one has ever claimed that. But when you've been a guy who's been the guy since you were literally first step on the football field and now for the first time you're not the guy you know, was there some concern it would cause some some tension uh, when they're trying to build for the future? That's a theory. I'm not saying that's 100% the case, but that would be my rationale to counter that specific rationale. Hmm. I just am sort of ready to accept that he wasn't one of the best running backs on the team. And that, yeah, maybe he's better than, you know, Joe Schmo, who's uh, what's it? Uh, playing bibbledy bop on the special teams, but also, you know, his job is to be a running back, not a special teamer. And so if you feel like devils, you know, I think that he was probably kind of an insurance policy for Devin Singletary. Like, okay, let's make sure Devin Singletary is who we think he is, especially with some of his, you know, there was a lot of stuff in the preseason about whether Devin Singletary could catch a ball or not. Cause he hadn't been asked to do that. And so once you could see that, okay, he can do that. Um, then you've got Frank Gore and TJ Yeldon as well. And it's just about, okay, which of these guys in McCoy are the, are the, are the best. And, you know, McCoy was no longer useful once, you know, Devin Singletary could do it and, or nobody got injured. That was the other thing too. Was do, like, you do know. you think that TJ Yeldon is a better back right now than LaShawn McCoy? Um, I think he's probably, in, he, I, I think if he, I think if McCoy is a better back than TJ Yeldon right now, it's not by enough to matter. I think because by then you're talking hmm. about the third. I think they want this to be Devin Singletary's team. And I think they expect Frank Gore to be in a lot of passing situations. So now we're really talking about who is 
trading off with Singletary and Gore as opposed to who is Singletary or Gore. Right. And, and I, I, and I, and I, I guess that's a bit of Paul's point is like, yeah, and he said, wasn't going to be that guy. He, you know, and so. And you said it perfectly, Frank, about how you don't think he's that much better or worse to justify having him on the roster over a guy like Yeldon. And I would back that up in that, you know, LaShawn's what, 31, TJ Yeldon's 25. Stick with the younger guy if they're both at the relative same skill level. Yeah, I think that that's some of it is like, and also to your original statement, Scott, that, you know, you this team was planning on getting out of the LaShawn McCoy business eventually. And if not this year, then next year. And so, well, you know, how long are, you know, why, why wait? Is he worth waiting for? Is he worth waiting the next year for? And I don't know that I, you know, that there was any real need to keep him around. But I, I appreciate your devil's advocate argument or or the one that you're proffering, even if it's not. I yours. mean, I think I think I think I've seen I, I have not. I don't spend as much time on the message boards and the and the, the talk radio as you guys might. I know Frank listens from time to time. So I'm, I'm I guess I'm I get myself would, angry. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like in the initial takes that no one was too surprised or annoyed here. And I, I, and that they're all, everyone's kind of okay with it. And I don't necessarily, and again, I'm not really sure I disagree, but I'm not sure it's a real cut and dried case either. Like if you're trying to win this season, which we should, because this is year three, like it's time to put up or shut up. Everything has to work this year. Otherwise, I don't know. Like there, there's very few scenarios where this isn't a winning team and the, the bills fan base and ownership. Right. Um, so if we're trying to do that and LaShawn McCoy, we think is still going to be 5% better than TJ Yeldon by the end of the season. Yeah. Then to maybe me, that's, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. And, and since I, I countered your first point, Scott, I feel the need to support your point here, which is, Hey, you know what league offense thought that LaShawn McCoy could be a contributor, Kansas city chiefs, decent offense, you know, yeah, not bad. they're going to yeah, find they, room for him, but they yeah, are. Yeah, but they already are a decent offense. And so I and I think that there's a bit of a clear it's a bit of a fallacy here to say that if he works in Kansas City, he was going to work here. He might be. And I think of this as like a like a hockey um, analogy where, you know, Brian Gianta is probably better than one or two guys that the Sabres have capped. Right. But like. He can't really help this team get to the next level. Whereas if you put Brian Chianta on the fourth line of, I don't know, Pittsburgh, he might really be able to help that team because he's not being asked to do as much. And I, so I think McCoy's role in a more dynamic office is going to is different than um, if he had been asked to do um, what the Bills were asking him to do. So for me, it's not it's kind of apples and oranges. Uh, okay, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I agree. I mean, I think, I think if you if you're the Bills and you say we're we're our first string running back is Devin, our second string is Frank, and our third string is Lashawn, and it's a it's and and our fourth is TJ, and we're going back and forth between TJ and Lashawn. Like to me, I think Lashawn is still probably a better back, and so then we're really comparing. If that was the I mean, that's the thing. I would have to. Again, like maybe it is a, a mental thing where they thought McCoy couldn't handle. Maybe you know, McCoy told them, like, I'm not interested in doing that. And I, he I says it's possible. He could I, have been I, like, we'll I never got, know. But yeah, right. It's, 
Anyway, right. it's an inter- it's more of a thought experiment at this point. Yes, he's got, but, it is. Not, right. And to, to bolster Bean's decision, I do want to point out two uh, running back releases that really upset the Bills fan base, Thurman Thomas and Fred Jackson. And both those times we were told, hey, it's not contract. It's not this. It's not building for the future. It's simply performance. And we were all up in arms. And Thurman Thomas and Fred Jackson, after they were released, we found out, oh, they really have nothing left in the tank. And their careers essentially ended within a year of their their releases. Same with a gentleman named O.J. Simpson. So, you know, say, say though he was traded away, I believe, to the 49ers rather than cut. But the point is, I always feel you're better off cutting bait on a running back. I, I feel like there are very few mistakes made when it comes to cutting old running backs. There's not an example I can think of where a team cuts a running back saying he's got nothing left, and then he puts up a thousand-yard season somewhere. I mean, I guess that's the principle of what we're doing with Frank Gore, but yeah, I, I think I mean, what happened? Lynch was cut, but not really because people thought he did. Yeah, he was he was traded to for yeah. like a, a bag of balls, and you know, a and, and it wasn't because he wasn't it didn't have anything left in the tank. It was we're kind of we're gonna go a different direction. Yeah, that was you. we're done with your crap, and we yeah, had, and like we had we CJ had, and Fred. That was right. that was the reason. A little there, different. Which, that they cut bait with Travis Henry and Wills McGahee for similar reasons. They had thousand yard seasons after they left Buffalo and played well, but they were just done with their crap. I don't think that's case case with LaShawn. He did have some on field, well, more off field issues, but at the, at the same time, they always spoke highly of him. And I really think they felt, you know, we've got three to four years, I think four years of Devin Singletary on a team controlled contract. We have Frank Gore and what's probably his, last season so let's take advantage of that and and see what we have in in Singletary and you know find out sooner than later if he's a guy you're gonna he's gonna be the franchise's running back for the next eight or nine seasons before he hits that 30 year old mark of death mark of death um I, I just like to also remark quickly since we were being very transactional on this um that I really enjoyed uh, LaShawn McCoy as a Buffalo Bill, and I was very happy that he was a Buffalo Bill. And so I, I don't want it to pass like, okay, well, we're all done with him because I just really enjoyed watching him run and I didn't miss um, Kiko Alonso in the least. So. <laughs> some of the best, some great moments in Bill's history the snow game against Indy, where he runs in for a touchdown, the long run to seal the game against the Raiders is 80 yards after the half against Jacksonville. And to McCoy's credit, when his departure from Philly happened, which was a trade, mind you, he wasn't just dumped for nothing. He was very, there was a lot of animosity there. He said a lot of things, he didn't back off of them or apologize for them. When he left Buffalo, he posted a very nice message to the city, to the fans on both his Twitter account and his Instagram account and said how much he appreciated his time there. So, yeah, I, I, I'll I, miss LaShawn. He was he was a good player and he's really I'll, I'll never forget him being one of the guys jumping in the locker room when they finally broke that 17 year drought. OK, um, Scott, do you have any other thoughts on the roster moves? Um, I'm pleased that Duke Williams was able to make it through waivers and get back onto the practice squad. I think we're going to see him later this season. I think, I think it's just a matter of time. Someone's going to get injured and therefore we'll, we'll see him again. I think he's probably someone we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see again. So that's a good thing. Um, you know, the 10 offensive linemen is a little concerning. I mean, I, I'm obviously like a big offensive line fan and I'm, all for continuity and, and getting guys straightened away, I guess. 
mm-hmm. um, but that did that did seem a bit excessive considering some of the other cuts that we had, whether it's Williams or McCoy or um, let's see, I'm trying to think uh, who were some of the guys. I mean, Ray Ray, I'm not really concerned about. Um, who got, who else got picked up? There, yeah, there was a third guy picked up off of waivers, and I can't think of who it is. McLeod was one. And then you mentioned one, the other one, there were three of them trying to see if I can find it now. Yeah. But anyway, I I think, you know, ultimately I I think I agree with, I think, you know, Bean was kind of trying to say it without saying it that, you know, this is a tougher time because we've got more talent now. And a couple of years ago, there were guys who were not NFL players being cut um, and probably NFL players who are still, who were on the, who made the team, but who were, were, you know, probably not NFL players. Um, and now the, um, the, the, the cuts are more NFL players. Dion Lacey, like Dion Lacey to me, yes. is someone dolphins. Yes. Solid special team player, good depth at linebacker. A little disappointing. We couldn't find a way to keep him. Um, and then obviously like there was some little shenanigans with Kroom and IR and stuff. You know, I'm glad that all kind of worked out and got, Coleman back on the roster there. Um, I think I'm a little bit concerned on the, the, the cornerback depth, but Bean said, well, we'll just pick somebody up, um, which I have some skepticism on other than it's sort of worked out for us. Like we've managed to, other yeah, they've than been okay at that. Yeah. It, it's really been kind of a fair bit of like guys we picked up off the scrap heap and then McDermott and whoever great Leslie Frazier kind of, work on them for a couple of weeks and then we can get some starts out of them, you know, until they get injured again. Right. So, um, and even Vontae Davis, like if he had stuck it out, like that team got better, maybe he would have had a better, you know, run of it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I, I think, I think that's all fine. Um, so I, you know, I think the punter thing is a little concerning, but there's not much we can do other than we just don't have any good punters. And we tried <laughs> to get, um, Britain. they have hosted some this week, so we'll see if they do anything. Yeah, we tried to get Britain Colquitt of the kicking Colquitts, but uh, but uh, failed, and he went to the mic. So we uh, signed Kurt Coleman, uh, Nate Becker, Eddie Yarbrough, Cam Lewis, Eric Magnuson, Duke Williams, Kyle Pecco, and Christian Wade, and then and then it was Davis Webb, Tyrone Johnson, and Nate Hall went to the practice squad. Running back Byron Marshall to the practice squad. So those are the transactions since cut down day. And um, today they did uh, release Senior's Perry, who I oh, believe he was on IR with a settlement, does. right? Yeah, he played all the the all important bibbledy bop position on special teams that Frank referenced earlier. The most important position on special teams behind kicker, punter, long snapper, and gunner is the bibbledy bop position. So little known fact. Yeah, little little known fact. Um, so yeah, he he gone. Uh, Russell Bodine to the Patriots for a sixth-round pick. Uh, Wyatt Teller and a seventh-round pick to the Browns for a fifth-round pick and a sixth-round pick. So wheeling and dealing all these little pieces. Um, and then and I, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say Stephen House for two years. Yeah. Yeah. One, one thing that is, uh, which goes to Scott's point about the O line. Tim Graham had a great article about this in the Athletic, and he had a tweet that I think sums up their situation well. The Bills kept ten O linemen. Considering the Teller and Bodine trades, which Frank just referenced, the Bills had 12 NFL caliber linemen this summer, 13 if you count Adrian Waddle, who, of course, was was injured. Of all the linemen the Bills had on their roster and practice squad opening day 2018, seven are unemployed. So this it just goes to show you the quality that's increased with the offensive line. I think 
Scott said 10 offensive linemen is probably unsustainable, and I would 100% agree with him, but I don't disapprove of it because what's going to happen in week one is some offensive lineman's going to get hurt somewhere, some team is going to get run over and realize, oh crap, we need to really upgrade, and the Bills, rather than being in the position where they have to trade for Marshall Newhouse types early in the season just to have a competent offensive line, can trade from a position of depth and maybe get you know, a third draft pick out of, you know, a lineman who is, you know, either not, who is not in their plans to be a starter. So I think I like that idea. And then maybe when that happens, you can promote a guy like Duke Williams to special teams. And then uh, not uh, just going over the, the roster quickly. The other one that surprised me was Dean Marlowe. They essentially opted to keep five safeties by keeping Dean Marlowe on the, the roster. When you count the fact that they also had, Oh, who did they have? They have, Hyde, Poyer, Jaquan Johnson, technically Saran Neal, but I know he's really big nickel. Uh, and then Kirk Coleman, of course, too. So I guess, yeah, it does that is five safeties. So he's a guy that I think is going to be the next guy off the roster if they find uh, someone at some position they like. But I, I think there was a logic in how they did this. Remember, their initial cutdown included five tight ends before they did the Kroom, Kirk Coleman shenanigans that Scott referenced in his summary of the roster. And, and thank you, Kurt Coleman, for being a classy guy and be like, I will put my pride out the window. You can cut me and I'll just resign with you the next day. So I'm, I'm glad that ended up working out for, for everyone. But I, I think this is a wisely constructed roster. Frank had gone over the, the special teams. I, I like the, the players on special teams. They did get to keep Christian Wade for in the ideal situation where he gets to learn the game, develop for a year and we'll see him next preseason and they can make a decision then on whether he will be an NFL contributor for the team in 2020. So, you know, all in all, uh, nothing hugely surprising. Captain Munderland going was a mild surprise, but that just, and Ryan Lewis was a mild surprise. He was picked up by the Colts. So again, a good sign that we're cutting guys who are being, who are named guys or who are guys that are being picked up quickly by, by other teams. So yeah, I, I think this is a logical roster construction and let's hope these, uh, you know, these decisions are the right ones. Well, there you go. Um, all four right decisions. We are very pro right decision on this podcast. Um, we are going to fast forward because it not fast forward, but we're going to jump into the, the meat here because uh, we really want to get to a lot of stuff. So, Scott, do you have your wacky schedule ready to go here? I am, I am okay. ready to go. Excellent. Because after this. We're going to make our season guesses and we're going to do our first quarter game preview. Um, and then, you know, we're going to get we're going to we're going to get to the end. So let's do it. All right. So we are officially now into the last quarter wax schedule. This start off Ravens at Bills. This is Ravens at Bills. At this point during the uh, NFL season, uh, due to a variety of concerns about their running ability, ability, uh, both the Ravens and Bills head coaches have made the decision to affix the feet of their starting quarterbacks to the earth as soon as their ball is snapped. So they have essentially come up with, I'm going to say magic, an incantation of some sort. Okay. Once the ball hits their hands, they can approach a throwing stance in some direction and can continue to throw and pump in various directions, but cannot take off to run. There will be no scrambling. There will be no evading of of sacks. They will turn into functionally uh, late 2016 Peyton Manning. 
from a from a uh, mobility standpoint, not from a necessarily game right. decision. Or for fans of these teams, a Kyle Bowler versus Drew Bledsoe matchup of the early 2000s. Uh, Drew Bledsoe, I think, is a very apt comparison, perhaps. Yes. So uh, anyway, the yes. So that will be obviously a big part of these teams offense would normally rely on the running ability of Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. In this game, it will strictly be throwing. Go. Paul. What? Yeah, Paul first. Uh, yeah, right. you got this, is a, this is a great one. So it's essentially like, okay, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson are known for being great mobile quarterbacks. They cannot be mobile. Figure it out. Well, this is, uh, I, I, I feel this isn't so, this is more uh, kind of an intuitive thought exercise than it is a, a, you know, wade through the wackiness. So I won't go into the whole, are they encased in cement? Are they, I, I'm just going to say you're going to get into a battle of the, the arms here and a battle of who has a better offensive line at this point in time. And I think they both have strong arms. Allen's, of course, is is stronger. I think the Ravens are a bit stronger up front than the, the Bills are, despite mm-hmm. Buffalo's upgrades. And I ultimately think that's going to be uh, the difference. So while I hold out hope that Josh Allen will be a better quarterback long term than Lamar Jackson, otherwise we're going to regret years down the road that we passed on Lamar, I'm going to have to give this game to the Ravens. I think they just are too strong up front and that they'll be able to win some battles and uh and uh yeah so i'm gonna say ravens win this one in what will be a doozy uh nine to six mm. and I, I guess scott we can't get out of this by having josh allen line up as halfback and then a lot of halfback oh. options, right? So like, no, no, yeah. I, I feel like that would defeat the spirit of the coach's intent to protect. Their, right. The magic, the magic incantation is, is savvy enough to, exactly. to thwart, yeah. thwart my you, little you, you word would, game there. Yeah. Okay. No, it would turn into a Jumanji like punishment where you, you've attempted to cheat the game and now, you know, Josh Allen turns into, a, you know, some sort of, you know, lizard beast that you know can still communicate and throw the ball but he's just got lizard skin so right do that okay um and i just was thinking also like think how tricky handoff like even a handoff is going to be tough because if like the moment he touches the ball he's he's stuck well you better know where you're going with that football so i think you're going to see some direct snaps obviously a lot of shotgun which is very helpful um probably some max protect you could probably got to go max protect a lot um and i i guess i kind of am swayed by you know paul went first and unfortunately he sort of got into my head i think he's right i think if the ravens have the better pass rush that's gonna that's gonna win the day so i'm gonna go with the ravens uh in a tight one 17 14 yeah i think it'll be a tight game i think i think i will say this is still in buffalo so i think the home crowd advantage i think the okay. Bills get through. I think by this point, hopefully the Bills offensive line is gelled. I think we still got a pretty decent set of pass drivers. We're going to have Ned Oliver coming right at the middle at a very stationary Lamar Jackson. I think we might have some success there. I'm not saying it's definite, but I, I think it's close. But I do think it is going to be a low-scoring kind of slugfest, so I'll put it at, put it at yeah, like 17, you know, 16 uh, Buffalo, something along those lines. So we'll, uh, we'll move on. Now to the next week, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the Bills at the Steelers. Is that correct? 
Sounds so right, because they're on the schedule, and we haven't played them yet, according yeah, to my spreadsheet. Off that. Yeah, Steelers. So this is Bills at Steelers in the Steel City. Um, and and I'm not sure if we've done this before. Stop me if we have. I will uh, I will come up with another one on the spot. But uh, in an attempt to kind of make the game larger than life, uh, the NFL somehow develops again potentially magic i don't want to you know maybe there's some sort of science maybe sufficiently advanced science is indistinguishable from magic (laughs) Um, but they managed to make all of the bills and steelers players something on the order of 100 feet tall and they play in the rough vicinity of heinz field on a field approximately one mile long and about a third of a mile wide, basically on the west bank of the Allegheny River, uh, just west of downtown Pittsburgh. So it's kind of in the Heinz Field area, but obviously with 100-foot-tall players, they're not going to be contained by the stadium. Now, the NFL, thankfully, has evacuated most of the the western side of Pittsburgh, so there will be little damage, little little personal, like no, no people will be harmed, um, however, the buildings were not raised, so the buildings are all still there. So the Children's Museum, uh, Heinz Field will still be there. Um, you know, you got a lot of low. You know, I'm sure there's some some you know how you know housing, low income is probably well some mixed 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 use residential. Uh, I think there's a park there. Um, anyway, there's a lot of there's a lot of the, there's like the I think the mattress something like the mattress warehouse park museum or something mattress factory museum. Okay. That's, wow. That's, I got to get to Pittsburgh again. I, mean, I used to vacation there when I was younger, but it's been decades and all this stuff I'm missing. The Andy Warhol Museum, the the, the, the Rivers Casino in Pittsburgh. I'm not going to say that these places are going to survive. So, Paul, if you want to get there, try and... I, I'd better hurry. Time to go. Or yeah. just rushed. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's start with Frank with this one. So Bill Steelers... Hundred foot tall players playing on a mile long field mm-hmm, in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Side of Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah, um, I, this is not part of your hypothetical, but I've decided this is a Gundam style anime game, where not only are they a hundred feet tall, but they're actually sort of also almost mechanized versions of each of the players. So uh, I had it for Rampage in my mind, but see, okay, could, that's good. I mean, I could, I could, you know, I can envision maybe, it as a Godzilla style. Be, maybe the Steelers could be kind of quasi you know robot cyborgs and the bills could be kind of animalistic perhaps yeah i mean it could be that i've been watching neon evangelion and it's been influencing my 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 thought pattern here um obviously this is an excellent 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 scenario um it just has one failing in that if everybody is that big of course as we know um biologically bone structures are not capable of supporting that type of muscle mass and strength. That's why people like uh, Goliath or Giant Man and the Avengers could only get so big because after a certain point, the uh, the the strength and um, <laughs> 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 well, no, 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 no. It's <laughs> I, I'm going to finish this off. I'm going to basically <laughs> it's going to be a race against time because at some point, very quickly, it's going to be masses of puddles of human beings 
that are are like just like collapsing under the weight of their own muscles. And so that's why I think implants and the the animal the human animal hybrids here. Oh. No, you know what? I this is my answer, and we don't have time for me to go back. And so I think that the Bills are going to win four nothing based on the strength of well, no, two nothing on the strength of they'll kick off first. It'll go to the Steelers, and then it'll be a series of these. Eventually, they'll collapse on a safety, and they'll get a safety against the Steelers, and then really no one will be able to do anything for the rest of the game, um, leaving Scott to go back to the drawing board to ensure that these are mechanized robots next year. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I immediately went to the referees again, thought, well, are the referees giant or not? Because if they're small, it's anarchy. It is absolute anarchy. This game will go down in NFL lore uh, under the nickname because Three Miles in a Cloud of... That's why it look... What's that? Because of the penalties. That's why right. it Yeah. Not not the 100-foot-tall football player. No. Uh, so you've heard of Three Yards in a Cloud of Dust. This game will be known as Three Miles in a Cloud of Dust because that will be the average yard per carry uh, for, for each player during the game. The long-lasting effects on the city of Pittsburgh will, of course... Be the stench. You think the steel mill smell doesn't go out years after factories close? Try 90 sweaty, 100-foot-tall men colliding into each other for three hours on a Sunday afternoon in December of 2019. That is a smell, my friends. It is not going to go away from that city anytime soon. I think the game, it's it's a shame it's going to have some serious playoff implications. It is going to be sheer anarchy. I'm going to say the Bills win this simply because, you know, they're they're gonna have Ben Ben Roethlisberger only grows what like three feet and then he's a hundred mm. feet tall. I think the Bills are a smaller team and they're gonna have a bigger advantage as a result of the the human growth hormone, if you will, that will be injected them in this game. So I'm gonna say it's gonna be a traditional NFL game minus the everlasting stench on the city of Pittsburgh that will exist after it. And I will say Bills 24 to 20. Okay, I like, I like it. it. I like, like it. A little bit closer to where I was thinking. Thank you, Paul. Sure. Uh, I'm sorry that uh, I'm sorry that you <laughs> forgot that that force happens exponentially. I, that's not my problem. <laughs> I'm here to tell the truth. I, hate you. <laughs> I, I know an astrophysicist, and I really feel like we need to get that person as a guest on the pod to settle this. But that'll be we'll oh. we'll, we'll Scott. Nobody's in space. That's not fair. To consume. <laughs> To, to power those kind of bodies, it's just not sustainable. It's just not. They wouldn't be able to keep doing it for more than five minutes. What kind? What kind of scenario is this? <laughs> Look, we all pick our points of you know moments of disbelief. That's how we resolve all these ridiculous stories. Like you know, the Flash can run faster than anybody, but like he gets really hungry all the time because you know he's burning all these calories. I don't know. I did. That's where I drew my line, Scott. And I'm sorry that that upset you. Um. Anyway. <laughs> I was going to say Frank's old, sometimes a football game is just a football game. I almost went there. I almost went there. When 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 have the Steelers not beaten the Bills when it matters? I mean, mm. And that's how it'll come down here again. I see, you know, James Conner, you know, you know, brustling through the, you know, the, the, the hulking remains of Heinz Field. Uh, you know, the Bills leave it as like a, as like, you know, their defense in the fourth quarter. They're like, well, he'd have to go through Heinz Field to get around, you know, left end here. So as long as we anchor our defense on that, he won't be able to get through. And then, sure enough, James Conner just runs through Heinz Field, breaks into the open, spins around, I don't know, Aviary Park or whatever, 
and then it's and then it's game over for the Bills. So I get I, it. I, I get it. You had done so much research on the geography of Pittsburgh that you were thrilled to share it all. But yeah, I that, that was most of where I was going with that. With the, yeah, I'm I'm a bad person, and I'm sorry. You're right. That was. Can, not... can you quickly name the three rivers, Scott? Uh, the Monongahela, the Allegheny, and the Ohio. Nailed it. Well done. I would have gotten none of those. So there you go. Yeah. Awesome. Anyway, then we'll pass on to uh, Bills at Patriots. This is uh, let's get out our time machines and let's let's get a famous Patriot coming back to now the now the the man in question must both play for the team on the field and is named their head coach. So Belichick is off the off the field. He has to sit this one out. He is banished to Mordor. The Nether Realm, the Phantom Zone, whatever. He's or Elba, in- you know, like Napoleon. Yeah, Elba, Saint Helena, whatever. He got out of Elba, so we got to Saint Helena. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so let's keep him there. Um, and then on the Bill side, so the same thing. So the Bills will also have someone from history coming through the the time portal to again play on the field for them, at least on offense or defense, and then uh, and then also. Um, must be the head coach. So, Bills, so Patriots get, now I'm not, now a little bit of background here. George Washington. Okay. Famous U.S. general, father of our country. Basically the Bill Belichick of the revolution. <laughs> well, now here's the thing, though. Most military scholars will tell you George Washington, not a tactical genius. Okay. The strategy great at alliances understanding the big picture yes doing what keeping the force in in intact allowing them to maintain the long-term vision the strategy okay tactics he lost pretty much like almost all of his battles for pretty <laughs> much the whole war only really at yorktown did he actually manage to pull his head out of his ass and actually win a battle again i love he came, it came yeah. alive in october right he's a playoff yeah. pitcher <laughs> So this is December. He obviously he did. That was one of the early ones that he did manage to 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 work out to in his favor was the crossing of the Delaware. And and again, uh, that was that was the uh, the famous Christmas Eve crossing. of Delaware. I wish I had a painting of my one good moment in life. But, you know, oh, well. Um, So we get to I'm just thinking about different times we could have painted Paul. Go ahead. Continue. <laughs> um, so George Washington comes out of, you know, comes out of the time portal. He's managed to get schooled up on the game of American football as it's played today. And he has to play for the Patriots and coach them. And Bill's famous, uh, a famous soldier also known well in New York State. Not as big of a fan of the United States in the end, as it turned out. Uh oh. Oh, we're not going Benedict, are we? We are going to have to go Benedict Arnold. Uh, in general, m- more well-regarded as a military tactician and strategist, like in terms of an operational level of combat, probably than George Washington. Generally, that was what ended up pushing him over to the British side was his, the lack of um, the lack of uh, respect that he perceived was given to him and was given to Washington instead, when in fact he was the one frequently winning battles, but Washington as commander in chief would get all the credit um, for, for what was going on. 
So this is definitely a grudge match, needless to say here. Obviously, one of the great traders in American history uh, playing for the Bills. It gives me no joy to put him on the Bills, but uh, I thought it'd be interesting. So anyway, have at it. Let's start with let's start with Paul. Yeah, I think I think this one's mine. Yeah, so this is I feel like you've kind of betrayed us here, Scott, because you have named the ultimate patriot to be the Pats player coach and you have named the biggest trader in U.S. history to the point where when I was a child, people would say, oh, you Benedict Arnold every time you did something underhanded in whatever game you were playing with kids on the schoolyard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it part of the ploy, though, I have to feel like this was done on purpose. Paul. Right. I think he's done this. I think what Scott is hoping one or both of us do is says that, you know, the Pats have been cheating the bills for years with Lord knows their underhanded deflate gate and the filming and all the other things that they have been caught doing. And Lord knows what they haven't been caught doing and their ritual of taking players from the practice squad of a team they're about to play the week before they play them to get intel. And now the bills have that tactician on their side with the trader Benedict Arnold. And you know what, Scott? I'm going to I'm going to agree with you totally. And I think the Bills are going to win this game based solely on that logic of having the great Benedict Arnold as tactician. Long live the United Kingdom. Bills 27, Patriots 26. Paul says, God save the queen. At yeah. what cost? My though? fish and chips and tea and crumpets. Baby. At, at what cost? Because if you do beat George Washington, you're forever the team that beat George Washington and nobody's ever going to like you ever. Ever. Nobody likes me now anyway. That's I mean, fair. I would, that's, that's fair. Yeah. That, that's what true. am I really losing here, Frank? Yeah. <laughs> Man, America's I don't soul. know. I don't know. I can't even get a John Paul Jones or a. All right. Um, Is, you mean Led Zeppelin, John Paul Jones? Nah, never no, mind. no. I have right. not yet begun to fight, my friend. Um, uh, no, I. Look, man, I can't pick against the father of the country. He was more than just. Look, this is entirely sentimental. I think once a year you get to pick with your heart. And I usually pick the Bills to win a stupid game with my heart. But you know what? George Washington wasn't just, you know, alliances and all that stuff that Scott said. He made the country the country. And he had a a foresight that no other people of his time had. And he had not only that, but like a really steely resolve to kind of do the right thing, even when it was going to cost him. And if you look at the early founding of the nation and when they were writing the Articles of Confederation and the and the Declaration of Independence, and then when he retires after his second term and he goes back to farm life and there's all this stuff, he like resists the temptations of power constantly. And I think that... Um, I think that he'll be ill-suited and he'll hate playing for the power-hungry Patriots and he'll be very upset, but he will also have the honor to do his best. And when George Washington does his best, nobody's better, my friends. So I, I think that, you know, it's a tough one. I hate I hate giving the Patriots the win, but I think more importantly, America wins when George Washington wins. Um, so I'm picking the Patriots um, you know, and I'm used to losing the Patriots, so I can swallow that a lot easier. Thirty-seven to seven, oh, and then wow. we and, and then it's we and then, and then we hang Benedict Arnold when we're done. So he doesn't Good. get to die in Norwich. Yeah, or... creating a time creating a time paradox, I which mean, would then I... which would then allow somehow for the rules of physics to be bent such that hundred foot giants could exist, and you know then we can play Scott's other game. 
Um, can I ask briefly, Paul, what position does Benedict Arnold play for the Bills? Hmm, which which position would be the most treacherous on the field? I mean, he's clearly got to be the uh, the center tactician, making the line calls. I never know where to line up, making sure to get his hand jammed right up in the throat of the interior defensive lineman while managing to get away with it. And, you know, essentially telling Josh Allen, like, hey, this is the cheat to win stuff you need to do. So I have him as the center. Nice. Mm. Frank, what does George Washington play for the pass? He can't play. He would play quarterback, except he's too good to know. I can't play quarterback. Um, so he plays. Um, I think he's a wide. Well, how tall is Washington? Washington's pretty tall. He was tall. He was. Yeah. He was six, three, I, six, four. I think he's a wide receiver. I think yeah. he goes out and he he catches the football um, in all of its pigskin glory and leads the team that way. So when he when he when he catches one of his touchdowns, presumably they're the, if the Pats are winning by thirty-seven seven, George Washington is catching a TD. What yeah. is his end zone dance? What is his end zone dance? It's very no, he doesn't dance. No, no. he doesn't dance. He, he acts he like does. He acts well. He has been there. He he was there from the beginning, my friends. Quite literally, he, Bunker Hill. He was there. He was. He I yeah. It's like that's actually the one showy thing he does. He has a shirt that says, "Act like you've been there?" Question mark. I was there, and <laughs> and so that's what he does. Um, just hands the ball to the ref. Just hands the ball off. to the ref. Goes back to the huddle. You and know. Shakes all and and, and he, you know what? He's a little mad at the Bills for having a Brit play on their like an actual legit Brit play on their team. Sees and, Christian Wade over there. Yeah, on the he's like giving him the side eye. You no, know, that's not okay. Yeah. All right. So, um. Uh. Yes. I also think the Pats win. Uh. Unfortunately, yes. It. As much as it pains me to say that they win, whatever they were going to win anyway. So at least George Washington gets another W. All time, all time champ, as Frank points out, at being awesome. Um, now this, this stresses me in that but, you've both picked the Pats to yeah. sweep the Bills, and I picked the Bills to sweep the Pats because I had the Bills winning the dodgeball game as well. Right, that is true. That well, is one of these yeah. years. One of these years, you're going to be right. <laughs> all right, our final wacky schedule is uh, oh, Bills. The season's over. I know Bills, it's Jets. Bills Jets. This is Jets at Bills. And this one, oh, right. Now, again, you guys will have to remind me of this because this is really more your area. Have we done cage match? No, I don't think so. Right, so, okay, so then that's it then. So it's, 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 it's a cage match wrestling style. Well, I'll say they will play. So what they do is they put the entire, you know, field, field of play inside a metal wrestling cage. Mm-hmm. All that that entails, you know, the roof and sides and such. And okay, wait, uh, sorry. So this is a roof. This is actually more of like a hell in the cell than a cage okay. match because a cage oh. match, of course, if you if you escape right, the cage, it's, it's tried to get out up and out of the cage or through the door. Okay. Here, you just want to pin or submit your opponent. Well, well I, so this, yeah, so this is hell in a cell, I guess. Except they are going to play football. Still okay. Football game. However, all the refs will be wrestling refs. Ah, okay. So it is going to be a little bit NFL blitzy, but it is also still going to have the, you know, the, the, the four walls and the roof kind of thing. Uh, and then, lots yeah, so three counts that lots of three counts that are, that should be, anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, let's just say they're going to play football, but the refs aren't going to really be calling a lot of holes. 
It's the XFL. Or pretty much anything. Like, maybe, like, at some point they'll call unnecessary roughness, and then maybe one of the refs gets hit in the head with a steel chair or something, and then, you know, things kind of disintegrate from there. So a lot anyway, of telling guys, Tar, you got to get out, break the hole, break the hole, get out of the corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that kind of. Yeah, so uh, we'll go ahead and, and, and start with uh, Frank. Do you want to start this one? Well, I'll tell you, brother, mean Gene. No. Um, this is this, of course, I'm so glad you saved this for the end, because this is this is truly a great, um, great idea. And I'm glad to clarify that it's a hell in a cell, because otherwise it would have been who could get out of the stadium first. Um, might, we'll might, you we'll know, save that for next season. Uh, right. Well, who could steal than... a victory by, you know, escaping the cage uh, and having lots of pull back downs. Um, uh, let's see. So in my mind, the cage goes right up against like the sidelines. So you, there, we have to have some place where people are getting thrown into the cage. I think, yeah. I think that this is the deal where, you know, we we talk about the valets and the wrestlers and, and they have managers, right? And you think about, you know, Mr. Fuji and you think about Paul Bearer and pretty much always the manager is like a terrible guy. All, and, and apparently dead in your book as well, since you're picking only dead managers. Well, there honestly aren't very many managers left. I mean, Fair like enough. it's sort it's sort of like a dead art where like, you know, Rick Slick and like those guys and Bobby Heenan, of course, mm-hmm. and like they they could change the complexion of a match. And that was part of the genius of Hell in a Cell was like, well, you're on the outside now. But in this case, I think you have Adam Gase doing a lot of distracting whenever the Bills score. And so the refs not seeing it. It doesn't count. You know, the, the the Jets are getting away with a lot of, like, pass interference because, you know, there's just not looking. And the the Bills are not, you know, working on it like a tag team should. And the, the process is not really built for this kind no, of No, the process is not built for this. Richard and does not have this gene in him. It does. Well, but that's the thing, right? Because this is the this is the season finale, and so we need a twist. And I think what's going to happen is – you know, Sean uh, McDermott is going to like it's a close game and turn, it's coming. Right. It's going to it's going to what's going to happen is the the bills are going to be on the one yard line and they're about to go in for a score when all of a sudden the guy you think least capable of it, Sean McDermott, just brains Josh Allen, brains him with a steel chair man and this that's where they bash at the beach 96 and that's they and the crowd buffalo loses its mind but the ball comes josh listen, allen wouldn't he hit a jets wouldn't he just no off the field and hit no, no 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 just no fight? that's what the twist is they think he's gonna, he's coming in with a chair and they think he's gonna like hit a, def, a jets defender and he just clocks josh allen who drops the ball now, oh, what oh, happens wow. is, what happens is Devin Singletary picks up the ball and scores. Oh, so the wow. Bills win the game, but they are left going into the next week of the playoffs or the following season with a manager who has turned on them. And of course, like they're all shocked. And now he's just hitting Josh Allen on the back. And when he gets the microphone, he says, 
stuff like everybody's been giving you accolades because you've thrown all these touchdowns this year, but I was the guy who put you there, and damn it, I'm the guy who makes this team good. And so he, like, uh, just a fucking heel turn that nobody saw coming. And so McDermott, the, the process the process has eaten away at him. And so the Bills win, but it's it's a Pyrrhic victory because because McDermott has gone to the dark side. Wow. This oh. is uh, we're we're gonna bring oh, it back to that. We're gonna bring it back to the light side. This game <laughs> does come down to the wire, just as everyone expects. Le'Veon ring the bell gets in for a touchdown. <laughs> literally 35 seconds left on the clock. The Bills drive it all the way back down the field to the other side of the cage of the cell, if you will, and they are lining up for a game-winning field goal. The snap goes to. Corey the whore Bohorquez. He puts it down and fumbles the ball. And it's, oh no, the fans ready to, you know, scream in joy of this game winning field goal, have this huge letdown. Bohorquez fumbles the ball and quickly it is picked up by the Jets defensive end who is on layer to block the field goal. Mr. Henry Anderson and Henry is about to run downfield, but the Bills kicker. He has a good memory. Steven Hauschka remembering the cheap shot that he got last year from Henry Anderson that made him an ineffective kicker the rest of the way. With all of the officials scrambling their heads around to find the ball, Hauschka gets away with the low blow. Yes. Right on down to Henry Anderson. Anderson doubles over in pain. Hauschka picks up the ball, looks to his left, looks to his right, scrambles and finds Mr. TJ Yeldon in the end zone. And the Bills win it on a touchdown, a walk-off touchdown, if you will. I guess it wouldn't be a walk-off. It would be a climb-the-cell touchdown to end this game and beat the Jets. Yeah, that's the season on a positive note. I was going to say the only thing missing was somebody getting powerbombed through the top of the cell, (laughs) a la, you know, Triple H doing the Mankind, um, you know, or the Undertaker, rather, and then, you know, breaking the ring. So, okay. No, yeah. that's a lot there. Yeah, no, I, I thought I thought the Bills would come out on top in this one. I think I would be a little worried about, again, I'm not going to probably do a lot of passing in this game anyway, given it's in December. You're also, so because I was worried oh, about yeah, I, Allen. Some of, the, <laughs> some of the arc on his throws may, may be interfered with by the, the cage itself, unfortunately. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll, say, we'll say the Bills win this one. Yeah, I'm going to say the Bills win this 35 21 i think i think i think i think this one actually gets a little out of hand and the bills the bills managed to uh rise above the the shenanigans of those the hated new york jets uh in the the hell in the cell match so that is your wacky schedule for, for 2019 that was an excellent note to end on and i can't wait to hear sean mcdermott's heel music once he goes full heel and comes back on nfl raw the following week <laughs> um wow okay so I don't even want to do the real schedule in the real season because that we was can so segue. Much- I've got, I've got some this day in Bill's headlines, which I can set the timer for to keep this to four minutes because we are in 55 minutes. My yes, I'm glad just- that we're all here on the same page. I feel like we've done a lot of the meat of the show here, so right. let's do this day in Bill's history. Then we'll we'll go to the the first quarter preview um, and and quick general impressions of the season before we get to Bill's Jets. All right, I better look up Bill's Jets betting odds. Go ahead. All right, starting the stopwatch now, right now, with an easy one. 2018, Micah Hyde says blank is mentally ready to be Bill's starting QB. 
Uh, Josh Allen. Josh. Oh. No, Nathan, Nathan yeah. Peterman. Peterman. Yeah. Right. Micah Hyde, I respect you. You have never been more wrong in your life. 2017. <laughs> Buffalo Bills claim blank and two others off waivers Sunday. This player was a sixth round pick by the Patriots in the 2017 NFL draft after a successful college career at UCLA. A further hint, he is on the 2019 53 man roster and he is an offensive lineman. Uh, 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 fudge. Ford. Think of go as far down the offensive line depth chart as you possibly can. McDermott? Connor McDermott. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 2014. Doug Marone not worried about perceived risk of having blank return kicks for Buffalo Bills. And he shouldn't have been because this player then erupted for a kick return for a touchdown and a memorable moment against the Dolphins later that season. Uh, uh, CJ Spiller? DJ Spiller, you guys are on fire today. Nailed All right, it. we're about to extinguish that fire with one I do not think you'll get, but you've proven me wrong before. 2012, Bill's backup QB Blank accepts pay cut. Blank is now set to make a base salary of $1.5 million this season in the second year of a three-year contract he signed last summer. 2012. Backup QB, he has been an answer before, though not in a long time. Thad Lewis. No, but those uh, focus on those first two letters. Th- Thurman Thomas. <laughs> uh, I think last names. Feel. Um, <laughs> um, Stop it. Thor. God of Thunder. Um, Tyler Thigpen. Tyler Thigpen. I yeah, was, I there we go. The Peanuts Charles Schultz Pigpen rhyming effort. Didn't even need to go there. Nice. All right. 2009, 10 days before season, Bills fire blank. Blank oversaw an offense that sputtered through the preseason and couldn't score a touchdown the last two exhibitions. Kevin Gilbride? No, no. This guy. Sure. Yes. Did I, did I hear you correctly, Frank? Did you say Take what I think sure. you said? You did. The late, great uh, Turk Schoenert. Who I know someday... late, great, by the way. Let's remark on that. Some... Yeah, January 2019 passed away. But, yep, Dick Geron fired him right before the start of the regular season. Sure sign of how that season was about to go. Mm-hmm. All right. 2007, I'm going to, you know, you guys are going to get this one. Bill signed blank to practice squad. The answer is, of course, and Scott will jump in and know it was Kevin Eakin, the former Fordham quarterback. What I brought this headline up for is that and this, I read this in the article. NFL clubs may establish a practice squad of eight players by signing free agents who do not have an accrued season of free agency credit. Buffalo has a total of nine practice squad players because NFL international allocation defensive lineman Daniel Watts is the ninth player, but by rule, he can never be elevated to the active roster and doesn't count toward the practice squad total. Holy hell, this whole Christian Wade shit's been around for 12 years at least. I did not know this existed before Christian Wade. Did you I guys remember defensive lineman Daniel Watts, who is available on the NFL International Allocation Program? Absolutely not. No. Craziness. Yeah. All right. I had to sneak that into headlines. Continuing on. 2003. Now with Pats, Blank is ready for special opener. I have to tell it like it is. He said by phone to Buffalo Air reporters, there's no doubt I want to have a good game. It's more special Blair than ordinary Blair. game. Uh, not lo- no, you're thinking the other way. He was a... Oh. That was a Patriot going to the Bills. But he was he was a headline the headline on every other paper that day. But I used him last year and we did this, so I didn't want to use Malloy again. 
Um, the hint, he was one of the most prolific pass-catching backs in NFL history, topping 100 receptions. Larry tonight. Centers. Larry Centers. All right. Good job, Scott. 2002. Cards looked at ex-Bills tackle blank. Blank, who played at Tucson South Point High in Arizona, is a 10-year veteran. He was chosen by Buffalo in the first round in the 1992 draft. Jonah Jennings? Nope, 1992 drafts. You're going to a guy from the Super Bowl. Oh, Reuben Brown. Uh, he was a guard who played next to this player, and I used to listen to talk about this player all the time. House Ballard? No, Ballard was, no. Um, Ten years for the Bills, starting tackle for nine of them, starred in two of the Super Bowls. Hmm. You can't see me. John Cena. Yes. John Fina. John oh, John Cena. Fina. Yes. <laughs> and also what was interesting, this article says uh, he wouldn't sign until the next week because veterans on the roster in the first week aren't guaranteed their season salaries should they be cut later. As a result, many veterans aren't often signed until week two. Again, that was a rule 17 years ago that I just found out about this year. So I had no idea any of this was happening. All right. 2000, the penultimate headline, payback for throwback. The Bills opened their season with a pulsating 16-13 triumph over the Titans, their playoff nemesis eight months ago. The price was an injury to quarterback Rob Johnson. He limped off the field with an injured left leg in the fourth quarter and didn't return. Blank relieved and quarterbacked the comeback. Hmm. Rob Johnson out. Enter this gentleman who led him. Flutie. He would be a great yeah. guest. He had a foot injury the, the week before, so they had to turn to their third string guy. Alex Van Pelt. Alex Van Pelt, yes. A-V-P. This is just a wrestling show now. <laughs> yeah, it is. AVP. It reminds me of RVD as well. Yeah, anyway, right. Yeah. That's what I was going for, there right. And the last headline, this does not involve any Buffalo players, so you'll have to churn out your Denver Broncos knowledge. 1995, Broncos get foot into win. Blank kicks five field goals and L.A. passes for 317 yards in Denver's 22-7 win over Buffalo. So that's the first person. Can you remember the Broncos kicker who had five field goals in this victory? He tied the record with a 63-yard kick and is right as one of the better kickers in the NFL. Dan Carpenter? No, Jason no. Elam. Jason Elam. Jason Elam. Scott comes out clutch. All right. The second component to this question there was a player in this game who had 10 catches for 180 yards and commented, we knew Wade Phillips was going to bring the house, and when he did, we knew we'd have to make him pay. I feel like I can beat most linebackers and safeties in this league, and Mike Shanahan, their offensive lineman, kept calling my number. It just snowballed. So this is a player, 10 catches for 180 yards. He was a Bronco. He is in the Hall of Fame. He talked about beating linebackers and safeties. Shannon Sharp. Very good, Scott. I was gonna. I was hoping we could do that before Frank whipped out his terrible impression of Shannon Sharp, <laughs> which I'm glad we did. And that was this day in Bill's headline, September 4th, 7 minutes, 23 seconds. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad for putting a three-minute timer on it. Yes, um, only two and a half times over. That's about what I was expecting. The Bills are going to play uh, the Jets and the Giants on the road before coming home to face the Bengals and the Patriots. That's the month of September. That's the first four games of the season. And as longtime listeners know, that's how we view the season. Um, the first week... I invite you both to give a quick impression for how you think this team's going to do this year. Uh, And then we want to kind of talk about those four games, starting with the Giants game, since we're going to finish with the actual preview of the Jets. Um, 
I think this is a nine and seven football team. Um, and that's cool because usually I'm saying this is somewhere between a seven and nine and a nine and seven, you know, six and 10 football team and a bounce here or there. I think this is a nine win team that could go down to seven or eight, but really could go up to 10 or 11. If, if Josh Allen is who he's supposed to be. So I'm kind of excited. I think the defense is good. I think the offense has improved. Um, I think that, and that a lot of it relies on Allen taking a step forward and I'm choosing to be optimistic going, going forward here. Um, I think in the first quarter, I, I can see them being the giants and the Bengals. I'm happy to predict those two. I can't see them beating the Patriots. So, I mean, you know, two and two or three and one, uh, depending on how I pick the Jets game in a minute. Paul, let's go to you first. Yep. Kind of give your impression and, and where you think those, you know, quickly where those first couple of games are going to go. And then uh, we'll go to Scott and then we'll we'll talk about the Giants or the Jets game rather. All right. I think the not talked about drought ends this year. And the drought I'm talking about is uh, 20 years without a double digit win season. And I am. I if I am I expect a ten and six year. That is that is where I'm at. I don't think wow. I've ever predicted something. No, so not on this show. The Bills. Yep. Yeah. And I feel like they have not only put this team together the right way, but just the amount of talent. So you know, head over over heels compared to recent seasons. I think this defense. You lose Kyle, you replace him with Ed Oliver. You build so much. Depth, you have all these guys who are playing, again, we've talked about before, second or third year in the system. I think this defense is ready to take this step to exceptional. Bill Polian uh, this week talked about how, you know, what to expect out of a quarterback the second year. And, you know, you can't expect him to be the guy who's reading defenses fully and making anticipatory calls. But you are going to see a guy who stops making bad decisions and who starts, you know, understanding the game better and it slows down from a bit so that he takes some steps forward. I I expect that to happen with Josh. I really think he's going to be a good quarterback. And I know at some point, I think I said the same thing about Tyrod Taylor. So I, I was certainly wrong there, but I hope I'm not wrong here. I think the running game will struggle. I think the offensive line will take a while to gel. And I think those things will be evident in the early games. Despite that, I'm going to go with the same picks that Frank had for games two through four. I think they're a stronger team than the Giants. I think they match up very well with the Bengals, and that's a home game. And while I would like to see them beating the Pats, of course, I simply don't think they're going to gel in all the appropriate areas, especially when you have a, a coach like Bill Belichick or George Washington, who would be looking at the you know bigger picture and try and figure out how he's going to you know make you use your left hand to beat his team, and, and it's just not going to happen that early. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's uh, I, I it's very easy to see seven wins on this team, you know, very quickly, you know, two against the Jets, who I don't think are as good, even with Le'Veon Bell and Sam Darnold. I mean, I guess it's possible that they could they could try and get one of those. But two there, two against the Dolphins, two against the Redskins and the Giants, who are both teams that are really trying to figure out what they are. Um, and then, you know, you think you should be able to get one from either the Bengals, um, maybe the, uh, maybe the, uh, the Broncos, you know, that, sh- that should be at least a seventh right there. So then you really only need two or three more to really get into playoff contention. Those, I think the bills can get maybe one of those, but I just don't know that I can see them getting a lot more. So I'll, I'll put the bills at about, uh, about 
eight and eight, nine and seven. I think it's it's a better team, but I'd also say benefiting from, from an easy schedule. And so uh, I don't I think I don't know enough about Allen's the, the critical factor. Allen takes a big step forward and the offense is he plays with what the offense gives him. Then, yeah, we can get to, to nine wins or ten wins, I, I think, um, just by being competitive and with a really solid, I think, defense that we've proven that can win some games for us. But I just I, I, I don't know if we've got that enough. I, I can't see it enough. So um, with that, but that said, yeah, so I'll say we're going to beat the, we'll beat the giants. Um, I think we can beat the Bengals. Obviously, it, it, you know, AJ green health key consideration for that game. He's torched us in the past. Obviously Trey's had some problems with him. So if he's out, I think then that's, that's definitely a win. And then, yeah, the, the Pats game, you just can't, can't pick the Pats yet there. So. Uh, or you can't pick the bills there yet. So yeah, two and two and one in those. Well, the other team that's probably feeling this way might be the jets mm-hmm. who feel like they might also be on the brink of something good. Um, the, they are three point favorites at home in the home opener against the Buffalo bills on Sunday. Um, so three points, that's, that's typically what we consider the home point advantage, meaning this is a pick em game on a neutral field and, possibly even a Bills three-point advantage if they were playing in Buffalo. Um, So not a lot to go with if you are a uh, Jets fan. Of course, they have Sam Darnold, maybe the better quarterback than Allen. Um, Le'Veon Bell, who surprisingly we haven't... um, I don't know, there hasn't been a lot of talk about him. Like, you know, like he's involved, but like I haven't heard people really talk about him in the manner with the jets where it's like, Oh, he's uh, you know, he's going to be the difference maker for the jets, but of course he's very good and um, could be, you know, helpful to them. What am I trying to say? Uh, obviously. <laughs> and the assets to their, their offensive production and to Sam Darnold. Exactly. It's not just Darnold. It's that, but you know, where's their wide receiving core? What's going on with their defense? There's lots to be said. Um, there's, there's still plenty of problems with the jets, including Adam Gase with his crazy freaking eyes, um, and whatever he's going to choose to do with the team. Um, I never go first with these, so I'm going to go first and get it out there. I, I think the bills can win this game. I think the bills have a sense of, uh, not just urgency, but I think that they know, I think that you, this is the first time where everybody's on the page. They've cut good players. I think you can look at the team. If you're McDermott and you're a player and you, you're starting to feel like a good guy and you, you have to beat this team here, I'm just saying a bunch of words that I felt like were going to make sense and then didn't. Um, to be fair, the first 15 seconds did before you went off the rails. Right. So you were right on. Um, I think the Bills have something to prove. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. The Bills have something to prove and they have talent and I think they're going to come out and they're going to have a good game plan. And I think they're going to have a better game plan than Gase, who just got there with a bunch of sort of rental players that aren't um, necessarily, uh, you know, gelled yet. So that's what I'm going to say here. Yeah, I think Frank kind of got to it at the end there, is that the the Bills are kind of in year three of the rebuilding plan. Uh, The Jets are kind of in year one functionally. I mean, they've they've got the quarterback, yes, and they've got Bell, but they don't really have all the elements. They don't have the offensive line in place. On the mm-hmm. defense, they've got a pretty good defensive line, and they have C.J. Mosley and Jamal Adams. But after that, it's just a bunch of guys. 
So I'm not really quite, it's, it's, I'm not sure that the cohesion is going to be there on either side of the ball. I'm not sure that, uh, you know, I'm not going to say the Bills are tremendously talented, um, but I think they have more talent than the Jets at this point. Um, it's going to be a road game, first game of the season. So I could see things getting a little weird, but I think if, if the Bills play this the way they want, I think the defense can keep the Jets down to probably about 13 points. And I think Josh Allen uh, and the offense can can scrape together, you know, something on the order of 20 or 23. So I'll, I'll go ahead and say, I'll say 21, 21-13 Bills. All right. I, I think you both, uh, you know, I agree with, agree with both of you. I think you, you pretty much hit on the head with the major points of where both teams are in their respective growth periods. I do not want to underestimate the Jets. I did that in the second game last year. And after one quarter, I assumed the Bills were this vastly superior team. I don't think that's the case. I think Sam Darnold's going to be a good quarterback. I would have loved if the Bills had been able to draft him. Le'Veon Bell, even with the year off, yeah, he's probably going to have some rust, but he, He's ripped apart the Bills as recently as is two years ago. He is a good and he's potentially the best NFL running back. But with all those things in mind, I think the Jets are trying. They're in the first year of this offense. The Bills are in the second year of their offense. They, you know, got some serious talent upgrades in in the trenches where the Jets still are looking like they could struggle a bit on the offensive line this year. The Jets also go into this game with some injuries. Uh, that said, if they come out with a win against Buffalo, it's not going to surprise me. But I just think team-wise, I think at this point, Buffalo's further along. And for that reason, I will pick the Bills as well. And I will say uh, it will be a close game. And I'll say 24 to 21. Well, there you go. If you want to share uh, your picks with the Buffalo Bills this year, you can do that at BBillsMNY on Twitter, uh, on Facebook.com backslash BBillsMNY. We will also be... Uh, doing email bbillsmny at gmail.com uh you got lots and lots and lots of ways to reach out to us and we want to hear from you we we love to hear from you and mostly paul loves to hear from you scott doesn't communicate with you at all uh and i will do what i can uh search for us buffalo bills maybe next year podcast on google you can find us on itunes and other places that you get podcasts thank you so much for listening um we're going to get out of here now because it's still under an hour and 15 minutes and that's the best po- that's the best podcast we've put together in a while so thank you so much for listening my name is frank i'm scott i'm paul good night everyone